Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'll be writing from the book of Matthew, starting in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Good morning to the great church. I hope everyone is doing well today. As was announced, our crowd is a little down because of the fall family retreat, but we're glad those that were able to attend that have been able to, and just, uh, if you can think to, say a prayer uh, for their safe travel home this afternoon. Um, what a great thing it is to study the subject of what we are. All of us who have been baptized into Christ are disciples of Jesus, and our children that we're raising in the faith, they'll, they'll obey the gospel when the time is right, but we're training them and raising them to be disciples of Jesus. A Christian is a disciple, Acts 11 and verse 26. If you're a disciple, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. At least you're supposed to be. And so this series we started two Sundays ago is focusing on Jesus' call uh, to disciples to follow him, to walk in his footsteps. As, we, as the scripture reading was read today, Brother Keith read that, I appreciate that. From Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus called the first of his disciples, the ones that he made apostles, uh, he said to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will teach you how to catch people. And uh, we'll talk about that, Lord willing, what that means uh, starting in the next lesson in this series in a couple of weeks. Uh, but today I, I want to, to do a second part of talking about uh, the subject of enlightenment. The whole world is blind. The world is blind. And by this, we're not talking about physicality, of course, but we're talking about blind on the inside. We're talking about blind in their mind's eye. The world is blind because the world is in darkness. And the only way to be delivered from the darkness that the world is under, the blindness that the world is under, is to be enlightened. And there's only one way to be enlightened. That is to interact with, to learn from, to receive enlightenment from the light of the world, which is Jesus our Lord. And those of us who have been enlightened by Christ, who've heard the gospel, who've embraced it, who've had our eyes open through faith, we are able to say to the world, with one another as the church, I was blind, but now I see. Now, that you have been made alive in Christ that he has caused the scales to fall from your eyes, that you have been delivered from deception so that you understand at least the basics of the truth of this universe, that does not mean that you are altogether as wise as you could possibly be. 
One of the things we talked about last Sunday was the fact that discipleship is an ongoing and a lifetime education. In fact, not only that, really we're just beginning in this life the first steps of an eternal education. And so God wants to continue to enlighten us, to continue to make the world inside of us in our minds and our hearts and our spirits, brighter and brighter and brighter, so that it cannot be contained. So that we'll be, as Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 5 in his great sermon on the mount, the, the light of the world, the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's God's plan for us. But to make sure that we all understand this, when we say that the world is blind, we mean literally the world is in ignorance. And when we say the world, we mean all the people on the planet that are outside of Christ that are living in rebellion against God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the deception that they've embraced through Jesus's, I mean, through the devil's work in their lives. They've been deceived so that they believe things, listen, they believe things about reality that are not true. And so they have an inaccurate view of reality. They don't understand themselves and they don't understand the world that they live in. They don't understand morality. They don't understand right from wrong. They don't know where they're going. They don't understand eternity. They don't know why they're here. I could go on and on and on. It's because of ignorance. It's because of deception. It's because of evil desire within them that Satan is playing upon and preying upon. That's what we mean, literally, when we say that the world is blind or that the world is in darkness. Enlightenment enables a human being that is embracing the will of his or her almighty Father, our God, he teaches us the truth. He gives us knowledge of what actually is right and wrong. He gives us the ability to understand reality for what it actually is, to understand ourselves, to understand the world we live in, and to be able then to seek that which is good. This is what we mean by enlightenment. We don't mean some kind of esoteric Eastern thing. We mean having an understanding of what actually is the truth and a desire within us through the regeneration that the Holy Spirit provides to seek it. That's what we mean when we talk about enlightenment. The great Francis Bacon, who's considered the father of science, frankly, who gave the world the scientific method, said knowledge is the rich storehouse for the glory of the creator and the relief of man's estate. Now let me explain that in more common everyday English. Probably most of you grasp it, but I want to make sure our children understand what he's saying here. He's saying that knowledge is a gift from God. The ability to learn from our environment is a gift from God. Certainly the Bible is a gift from God. But the, the, the ability to have knowledge, to seek knowledge, and to grow in knowledge is a gift. It, first of all, offers us the relief of the fear of punishment on Judgment Day. Well, that's the greatest relief of man's estate that it provides. But secondly, how great a standard of living do so many of us live uh, at today in this country? And how were things 100 years ago for your ancestors? How were things for your ancestors 200, 300, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago? You know what has changed that? Knowledge has changed that. Knowledge has changed that. It is not possible to overestimate how important it is that human beings be students of life, students of reality, students and seekers of truth, and that ultimately means that we must be students of and seekers of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know the saying, scientia potentia est, right? You've said that many times in your life. 
Well, that's the way that it was originally written in Latin, but the, the English translation you know real well. Knowledge is power. That statement originated with Francis Bacon. And I just want to say, this guy's the father of science as we think of it today, an absolute devoted believer in Jesus and in the Bible. And every one of the forefathers of the scientific method and everything that we have today scientifically, in spite of the fact that for the last a couple of hundred years, there have been lots of folks that have tried to, to put a division between religion and science, which doesn't belong there. There's no division between religion and science. All of the great pioneers of science were ardent believers in God, believers in Jesus, believers in the Bible. And in fact, it was the Bible's urging them on to seeking truth that led them to seek truth not only in the spiritual world through spiritual revelation through the Bible, but also through natural revelation in the world or what we might think of as science proper. So brothers and sisters, knowledge is power. Francis Bacon was on dead target about that. Knowledge is power. If you don't know what can hurt you, you cannot avoid it. If you don't know what can help you, you can't seek it. Knowledge is power to do everything that we want to do in life. And the more ignorant we are, the more powerless we are over the circumstances that surround us or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I don't hope that makes sense. Because what I really want to do with this lesson, and I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, right here at the beginning of it. What I want to do with this lesson is just woo all of you. Now, I know that many of you are already devoted Bible students, and I just want to encourage you in that. But there are many of you that want to be devoted Bible students, but you haven't yet really got into it yet. And so what I want to do is just woo you through this message to realize how much of a blessing it will be to you if you will really take the Bible seriously and make studying it a really important part of your life that you give time to and effort to and thought to and that you pray about because studying the Bible is not just something that will give you knowledge about an eternal distant future that you can hardly think about, that you can't maybe even relate to in a real clear way. The, the knowledge of the Word of God is going to give you the knowledge that you have glory and bliss and eternity with Jesus forever in heaven. Yes, it will give you that. And that's the most important thing. But it will also enrich your life right now in this world in ways that you cannot even imagine until you start getting into it and figuring out what it is that God has to teach you. And it's an adventure to study the Bible. It is joy to study the Word of God. I've been studying the Word of God actively, diligently most of the time since I was about 11 years old. And it never ceases to amaze me just how many layers of depth God has packed away in this book. The canon is closed. No books are being added. No words are being added. 66 books of the Bible. That is, that's it. It's done. And you will never learn it all in this life. Never. It's deeper than you, man, because it's the Word of God. This is the thought of God. This is the mind of God that He's given us access to. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, here's the warning. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you read the book of Hosea, you will see that there was all kinds of bad stuff going on in the world of the people of God in, in the lifetime of that prophet. And right there at the core of the problem was that they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know the will of God. And, and because they didn't, they didn't understand the world that they lived in. 
And because they didn't understand the world they lived in or they themselves living in the world, they thought things would work for them that wouldn't work. Does that make sense? They thought pathways, decisions, choices about how they were going to live were going to pay off for them that were not going to pay off for them. That's exactly what we're talking about. I want to make this as practical as possible. Every kernel of knowledge that you will glean from studying the Bible is 100% practical to this life, to your life now, as well as the life to come. And if you don't know something that God has given to you in the Bible, there's going to be a consequence of that in your life. That's going to be an area of blindness or darkness, even as a disciple. The things that you don't yet understand means that you're going to be vulnerable to Satan's attacks on you in that particular area of your life. Does that make sense? So I'm not trying to scare you into reading the Bible, but I am trying to motivate you to do it. And I hope you'll recognize that you have an awful lot to lose if you don't, but you have an awful lot to gain if you do. I want us to look together at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And this is a prayer. This is one of Paul's prayers that he prays. And we're going to look at two of these today, but kind of as the core of our thoughts. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23. I'm reading from the New King James Version right now. And the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... Notice verse 16, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, what would the Apostle Paul pray about for a church? You ever wondered that? If you're not familiar with the words that are about to follow, you're about to hear it for the first time. If you know this passage and you've studied before, you already know where we're going. But we're given insight into one of the Apostle Paul's prayers. These are things he prayed for the brethren that were in Ephesus in the ancient world. And, and therefore, these are things that the Lord would have leaders in the church to pray for the churches that they work with wherever they are. So this ought to be our prayer for each other as Laverne Church of Christ. Listen, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. In other words, the, the curtain pulled back so that you see what God is about, what God is doing, what God wants, that we would understand this and we would have the wisdom to be able to make the right decisions in life on a daily basis, the decisions that are going to lead to success. Verse 18, listen, the eyes of your understanding, some versions say hearts, the eyes of your hearts, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. There's that word that we're talking about. Having the blindness healed, cured, the darkness removed, the ability to see. For the first time, spiritually, really, having the eyes of your understanding enlightened, meaning on the inside, now you understand the truth. Now you're no longer in ignorance. Now you're no longer being deceived by Satan and by his minions in the world. Now you're able to see the right way to go and the right things to do. That you may know. Oh, I love that phrase. That you may know. It's not just that you might wish. Not just that you might hope, not just that you might think, not that you just might not have an opinion about something. Paul says that you might know what is the hope of his calling. Do you know 
what hope we share in Christ? You know what our hope really is? Do you really understand that? If someone were to walk up on the street and ask you, or somebody you know at work or at school were to come up and ask you, why are you a Christian? What, it is, what is it you're hoping to get out of being a disciple of Jesus? Have you ever thought about how you would answer that question? Some of you have already been asked that question. I've been asked that question many times. And I hope that you will be the kind of disciple that will be a light shining brightly enough that somebody in your world is someday going to come up to you and ask you, why? What is it you're hoping to get out of this? And Paul is saying he prays for the church of Christ at Ephesus, just as we all need to be praying for the church of Christ at Laverne, that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened so that they will be able to answer that question. You see that? Knowledge. Understanding. Truth. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Man, that phrase in and of itself is packed with so much. And notice verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet, that's Christ's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now let me interpret the last part of that passage there, what Paul says about power. He says that being enlightened, coming to understand the truth that the Bible reveals, knowing truth on the inside, in your mind, in your inner world, enables you to understand the power of God that is disposed toward you, the power he wants to use in your life, the power he is capable of using in your life. And he tells us exactly what that power is. It is the same power with which God the Father raised up Jesus, his son, from the dead and ascended him into heaven and set him down on his throne and gave him authority over the universe, visible and invisible. That same power is at our disposal as the church of the Lord. That same, do you believe that? Can you even believe that? That same power is disposed toward us as the church so that the church might be the fullness of Jesus to this world. So that the church might fully represent Jesus to this world. So that the church might adequately represent Jesus to this world. So that if there is a church that is composed of real true disciples real faithful followers of Jesus, the community that that church works in will be lacking nothing, lacking nothing that it would have if Jesus were here in person. Now let that sink in. Because brothers and sisters, there ain't no power like that in the world outside of a relationship with Jesus. That's the greatest power there is. You want to be a powerful man? You want to be a powerful woman? There's the world's pathway to that. And it might have the illusion of power. It might give you real power in certain temporary circumstances. 
But if you really do crave and desire power, the pathway to that power is on your knees. It is not standing up, being glorified and lauded by all of your fellow man. That power comes by submission to Jesus Christ, embracing him in faith, becoming his disciple, walking in his footprints so that you can live to the best of your Holy Spirit uh, empowered ability to walk in his footsteps. That's real power, brothers and sisters. And the world cannot do anything to stop an active, a faithful, and a militant church. It just cannot. Last week, I promised you that I would say a little more about this passage. Just read one verse of this context here. But this is, again, Paul giving us a little insight into apostolic prayers. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. You brothers and sisters in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be Filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's like a nothing, man. Just think about yourself for a minute as a disciple of Jesus. Are you filled with the knowledge of his will? I want you to think about yourself. Can you say, I am filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom? I know the right way to go. I know a bad choice from a good. I know right from wrong. I'm perfectly well aware of what, what I'm here for and what I'm supposed to be doing. I absolutely know how to defend the faith when questioned for the reason of my belief. Yeah, I understand these things. Now, it's not saying that you will have all knowledge so that you will be God. That's not what it's saying. But the passage is saying that Paul's prayer for that church is that they would literally be full of knowledge, that they would have great understanding, and that they would have the complete wisdom that they needed to face every decision that came their way in life. That's what we need to be aiming for, brothers and sisters. And if you cannot say today that I am filled with the knowledge of his will, if you cannot say I am filled with the knowledge of Christ's will, well, then that ought to drive you to, to study you really ought to be prayerfully seeking to get in the Word. How can I understand the will of Christ? How can I fill myself up with it to overflowing? How can I grasp and embrace this spiritual wisdom that will enable me to no longer make the foolish decisions I've made in the past that have landed me flat on my face? How can I learn how to make decisions that are going to lead to success in my life, in every aspect of my life, in every way that I would want to be successful? The passage continues, so as to walk. See, we're talking about footsteps, footprints. Being a disciple is following Jesus. It's walking in his steps. It's living his life through us. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Stop there for a second. We all know that we're sinners saved by grace, right? Sinners saved by grace. What Josh Pappas is, by my nature, by my choices, I'm a sinner that fell from the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Every one of you in this room that have come to an age of understanding where you know right from wrong and you're responsible for the choices that you make, same thing is true about you. You know, and, and it's, it's not really overdoing it. We could just beat ourselves up to no end because of our sins, because sin really is that bad. And so when we beat ourselves up about sin, 
We, we just run around with guilty consciences all the time. It's, it's really, there's a reason for that, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying this is not what the Lord wants for you. Despite the fact that it's true that you have made a sinful mess of your life, and that the only things that are good about you are things that the Lord has been doing since your baptism into Christ, in spite of the fact that that is true, nevertheless, through enlightenment, through the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God, He is able to transform your sinful life into something that at least by grace He calls worthy of Him. Now just please, just sink into that for a minute and think about that. That's, that is really something big, man. That is really, really huge. Fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to him. Did you know that as a weak mortal man or woman, that it is possible through grace, we're not taking away the blood of Christ here, but it is possible through grace to live a life that really is fully pleasing to God? Have you considered that possibility? Well, that's exactly what Paul was praying that the church in Colossae would be, that they would become, that the kind of lives that they would live, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, it's not a static thing. You come out of the waters of baptism, proverbially speaking, the scales fall from your eyes and immediately you know everything. That's not the way it works. But you've begun the process. You've received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You've at least made the good confession that in some way or another is implying that you're going to give yourself the study of God's Word so that you can know what it means to follow Jesus and walk in His footprints. You've made that commitment there and the process has begun. But if you will pursue that process through life, God will give you more and more and more light. You will increase in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power. There's that word again according to his glorious might, for all endurance, meaning there is nothing that Satan will be able to do to you that can defeat you, and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's qualified you to receive a piece of his son's inheritance which is everything. Brothers and sisters, God has qualified every faithful follower of Jesus to inherit along with Jesus everything, all of the work of his hands on judgment day. That's the hope of his calling that he hoped the church at Ephesus would come to understand. And he lays it right out there, clean and beautiful, here in Colossians chapter 1. And notice what he said. We began this series talking about the fact that enlightenment is first a change of kind, then it's a change of degree. First a change of kind, from being a rebellious mind, a mind darkened by sin, into the light. We become children of light. We're born again unto a living hope. There is the world and there are Christians. There are the spiritual Gentiles. There's spiritual Israel. There are the unsaved and there are the saved. There are the blind and there are those who see. And those are the two categories in life, period. And Jesus is the line between the two. And that's all there is to it. And if you're in Christ, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. 
We no longer walk in the ignorance of the world, the foolishness of the world. We're no longer plagued by the deception, misguided by the deception of Satan that rules in the world. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Why would anyone not want to study that? Why would you not want a deeper understanding of that? I'm asking you to ask yourself these questions. Knowing that, that understanding all of this is at your fingertips. It's right there in the Bible that's in your lap or on the back of the pew in front of you or in the app on your phone or on your tablet or on your computer, whatever it is that you use. It's all there. The whole of the light is there. The whole revelation from God is there. The whole, uh, the whole deliverance of the mindset of God to us is there. It's there for the taking. All we have to do is read it. Prayerfully read it, meditate upon it, think about it, try to understand it, discuss it among us, brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church. Redemptive conversation, I've talked about in other contexts. Redemptive conversation together, building each other up, sharpening each other. It's all we got to do, man. It's all we've got to do. And if we'll do that, the Holy Spirit will work through that process. And he will transform every last one of our lives into something truly glorious that God will look down upon and say, there's my worthy son. There's my worthy daughter. And that's what it means when we read about Jesus on Judgment Day looking down upon those of us who kept the faith and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. Oh, what a blessing it is to be in Christ. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You know, I've said it before from this pulpit, but I don't just believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I know for a fact it is. And I can defend it against anybody in the world. I don't care who you are. I know the Bible is the Word of God. And therefore, I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And therefore, I know that the gospel is truth, that it is the light of the world. And having embraced it and obeyed it, I know that I'm acceptable in the sight of God. Yes, because of His grace, because he has blessed me to be able to be more and more faithful as I've grown over the years in Christ. And I know in spite of my sins, he looks down upon me and he sees me as fully pleasing to him. I know that this is true. And therefore, I live with absolutely no fear of death. None whatsoever. Brothers and sisters, if I said nothing else, that is power right there. That's power. That's power that the world cannot comprehend because it's in darkness. Brothers and sisters, if we don't embrace the light, if we don't become lights, share the light that God has given us access to, then how are those folks we love in the world ever going to see? How are the scales ever going to fall from their eyes? How are they ever going to be delivered? So I ask you these questions. Do you know why we're here? Do you know why we have to leave here? You know why there's death in this world? You know why there's sickness, accidents in this world? Do you know why that, that is even a reality in this world? Do you know why? If someone asks you, well, I mean, if God is so good, why is death in the world? Why do accidents happen to people? Why do people get sick? Those are questions that folks in darkness in the world are asking all the time. 
And they're looking for the disciples of Jesus to be able to give them the light. And if we really are disciples of Jesus, we've got to have the light, man. We've got to be able to answer questions like that. It's not optional for you to say, well, that's the preacher's job, or that's one of the elders or deacons' jobs, one of the teachers' jobs. I'm just a pew warmer. I don't have to know that stuff. Man, there's no degrees of priesthood among believers. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have been initiated into the priesthood of all believers. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. There's only one kind of disciple, and that's a disciple. There are super disciples. <laughs> We're disciples. Everybody is called to participate in this light and to share it with the world. Why prayer? I mean, why prayer? Why does God want us to talk to him when we can't see him, can't hear him? He just wants us to believe that he's listening. Why? Why is that a thing? Why is faith? Why is faith the thing that God has chosen to be the true measure of righteousness among those in this fallen world? Why does Jesus require at least one degree or another of self-denial if we're going to follow him? Why? Because the world doesn't understand any of that stuff. And if you don't understand any of that stuff, then what use are you to the world? I'm not being mean. I'm just saying you, you're not equipped to help. But brothers and sisters, it's only a crack of the cover of that Bible away. You can just begin the process of reading and prayerfully meditating on it. Give it time. Stick to it. Keep at it. Devote yourself to it. Dedicate yourself to it. And God will teach you the answer to every one of these questions, including that one that everybody in the world is always curious about. What is to come? What is to come? What about the last days? And how is it that this world is going to end? I can answer every one of those questions on that screen. And I am aware that there are quite a number of you in this audience here who can as well. We are super blessed with talented Bible students and teachers here, and I'm grateful. But we can never be satisfied until it's 100% of us because we're all called to the same mission. And brothers and sisters, I'm just going to say this like a good old middle Tennessee boy ought to say it. There ain't nothing that you will ever be concerned about in this life that the Bible doesn't speak to. Not one solitary thing. Read that verse on the screen and just see what the Bible says about what God has given us through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. When you've been enlightened through the word of God, there is no circumstance in life that you cannot speak wisdom into. Zero. You can speak wisdom into every circumstance in life. There is no problem that has ever been laid before the feet of a true disciple of Jesus that the word of God will not equip us to overcome. Do you believe that's true? That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. And so... Studying the Bible is the greatest possible privilege, second only to being what the Bible will make you into. We don't worship the Bible, but we do worship the God who has given us the Bible. And he's given us the Bible so that through the work of his spirit, we can be transformed, every one of us, no matter how ignorant you used to be, no matter how weak you think you are, through the word of God, you too can become a wise man, a wise woman, someone fully pleasing to God, the light of the world, the city set on a hill. The master's calling, brothers and sisters. What will you do? This morning, if you're subject to the gospel invitation, 
By that I mean that you know you're a sinner. You haven't yet been saved by grace. The Bible teaches us you must confess your belief in Jesus Christ. And upon that confession and that uh, determination that you're going to live for him, you're going to walk as his disciple from now on. That's repentance. You obey the commandment to be baptized in water. The baptistry is ready. The water is warm. And it's symbolic of you being buried with Jesus in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. And when you obey that command, the Bible tells us in Acts 2, 38 and 39, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will dwell with you in your life and in your body. And as you then dedicate yourself to following in the footsteps of Jesus, studying his word, meditating upon it, living it out, he will transform you from one degree of glory to another. That's the promise from heaven and it's truth. This morning, if you're a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.